Hello and welcome to Career Move Secrets, a brand new podcast for active job seekers and the career minded. In each episode, I'll interview a special guest from my global network. Guests will include seasoned recruiters, experienced hiring managers from companies big and small, and successful individuals who have developed great careers through making great career moves. My aim is to uncover and share my guests' unique perspectives, their insights, and their insider advice on job searching, interviewing, and career enhancement. My name is Tony Talbot, and I've been working in the recruitment industry as an international headhunter for over 20 years. I'm the creator of CareerMoveSecrets.com, a step-by-step online course for job seekers that I designed to be the ultimate guide to getting hired in the hidden job market. I will add my perspective to the conversation, and together with my guests, we hope to provide some genuine, actionable insider advice that will help you execute your next career move. Thanks for joining us today. Hello and welcome to episode 35 of Career Move Secrets. Today's guest is Hans Pung. Hans served in the US Army many years ago before making the successful transition into the private sector. And today he is the president of RAND Europe, a very well-respected, not-for-profit policy research institute. Hi, Hans. How are you? Yeah, very well, Tony. Thank you. And how are you bearing up? Uh, we're, we're, we're just we're just coming through our second lockdown, albeit most of us are going directly back into one. How, how's life at your end? Yes, well, life is much better now that schools are in session. I have two young daughters who are 9 and 11, or 9 and 13, and um, they've been able to be in school the whole term so far. So that that's made life much more bearable, uh, but otherwise surviving, uh, I think, as well as can be expected. I'm guessing you guys are all, you know, working from home. And it's is it relatively easy in the world of sort of research to be able to do that? It It is relatively easy. I think we, the biggest change for us was when the first lockdown happened, having to move everyone to home all of the time. And it was more of our the functional bits of our organization, finance, project management, HR, IT. Um, the researchers were used to this. Um, and, but the whole organization performed really well. I'm, I'm really pleased and proud of how all of them did. Well, Hans, I obviously, I'm, I'm jumping ahead because I know what you do and have, have, a, have an interest in it. But of course, my listeners will not know your background. Could you give us the quick sort of potted history? Sure, I'd be delighted to. So I, I started out uh, as a mathematician. I went to university at uh, the U.S. Military Academy in West Point in the U.S., uh, so not at a typical university, probably best described to a European audience as Sandhurst and Oxford rolled into four years. So you both are in the armed forces, in the army in this case, uh, but you're also going to university, graduate with a, a master's degree, or a bachelor's degree, which I did in mathematics. Uh, while I was there, I also played on the American football team, uh, which I really enjoyed. And my final year, I commanded the Corps of Cadets, so the 4,000-member uh, student body soldier body, really. Uh, I had kind of military uh, command of them, which again was a really, really wonderful, I suppose, leadership experience and opportunity for me. Um, following that, I was fortunate to get a Marshall scholarship, uh, came to Oxford for two years, uh, did two degrees in that period of time, uh, one in mathematics, mathematical modeling, uh, and a second in British history, uh, which I think is unusual in the UK context, doing both a 
qualitative and a quantitative discipline. But I think the broad U.S. undergraduate curriculum kind of supported that um, and did a few other things. I rode for my college. I played rugby, that sort of thing. Um, but Oxford was great because whereas West Point, I suppose, gave me a really good, solid grounding in leadership, postgraduate work was much better in terms of depth of knowledge and really being able to enjoy one's academic subject. Uh, but all good things come to an end. I went back into the U.S. Army. I owed uh, West Point five plus years because of my time there uh, and spent three different tours, one in Korea doing logistics, uh, one in Germany where I did uh, personnel management. And my final tour was just south of Washington, D.C., where I, I ran operations for our, for our unit. Um, and that was great being in the Army because not only do you get practical leadership at a young age, but you get a really broad experience. I mean, how many other jobs and organizations could you be in where five years later, you know, you've done logistics, you've done personnel, and you've done ops, which is super. Uh, but I, I left the Army in 2002. Uh, between Afghanistan and Iraq uh, in terms of campaigns and joined uh, RAND Europe. So as, as Tony, as you said, RAND Europe, public policy, not-for-profit research organization. Uh, and I came in on the research side of the company uh, to really manage and help run a number of the defense projects we were doing for, at the time, the UK Ministry of Defense. Uh, and spent the first part of my career at RAND really focused on defense acquisition, defense policy more broadly, security, uh, and then moved into research leadership. So we stood up a formal defense and security research program. Uh, so I did that for a few years. I continued to do that, but also looked after all of RAND's new business development, so branching off into education, employment policy, and other things, uh, and also had the chance to do things like look after our communication strategy, HR, and things in the, in the uh, interim, um, and then started taking on more corporate leadership roles. Um, I was the, the, effectively the deputy chief executive, uh, vice president in our parlance for a couple of years, was part of the senior team, one of the fiduciary directors of uh, the company. And then uh, in late 2012, um, my predecessor decided he wanted to step down. I applied for the role, got it, uh, and I've been sitting in the hot seat ever since, uh, which, which has been absolutely wonderful. I've, I've loved almost every minute of it, I think, being able to work with really, really intelligent, committed, passionate people who really want to make, make a difference in the world. Um, I also, in my spare time, uh, when I'm not doing RAND and, uh, and spending time with my family, I'm also the voluntary chair of an organization called the Forces and Mind Trust, uh, where a charitable trust that helps um, inform policy around transition into civilian life from ex-service members and their family. And how can you do that in a way that's successful and sustainable? Um, so that's, that's me and what I've done to date. You've obviously made a very successful transition there uh, from from military life to to what Civvy Street? Do you, do you, do the Americans call it Civvy Street? Well, maybe it just does, but yeah, we, we call it Civvy um, But yeah, you've obviously made a, a good transition, so you're helping others to do that too. Um, is that a, is that a mindset that you have to adjust and change in order to to achieve success in you know the private sector versus a more structured environment? Yeah, I think 
you have to you have to think and change mindsets. I think whenever you make transitions, you know, and and we're mm. obviously making transitions all the time in our lives. You know, from university to the initial job market, from the military to civilian life is probably a, a slightly more major transition for a lot of people. I mean, it's also though worth saying that most people do it and they do it really well. So, you know, there are some people that struggle with that moving from a more structured environment into a less structured environment, uh, but by and large, people do tend to successfully do it. And I think I was was fortunate and an opportunity came along with Rand uh, that fit what I wanted to do and where I wanted to do it. And uh, and the rest is history, as they say. Mm. And, that, and now you're managing, you know, very clever people. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's that sort of group that, that I, I tend to involve myself in with, you know, there's lots of, you've got lots of PhDs there, haven't you? And people who are very, very well educated, um, which I'm, I'm sure is, is, a, is a pleasure, probably also has its challenges. Is it, is it a bit like herding cats sometimes? Everybody has a, a strong opinion on something. Everyone has a strong opinion on something, but, but in some senses, it's, it's what makes my researchers really good researchers. You know, if they weren't intellectually curious, if they didn't always wonder why we did absolutely everything, uh, mm-hmm. they wouldn't be as good at their job. So, you know, the fact that I probably have to over-communicate and explain in great detail why we're looking to do things, well, you know, that's a that's a small price to pay to to work with really brilliant and energetic and motivated people. So you know, you do have to make some make some allowances and change how you work uh, in that context. But yeah, you know, the rewards are good when you get it right. Mm, absolutely. So you, I, I say you, you've obviously been the president, what CEO, whatever you want to sort of term it for. You know, eight plus years now. You're at the top of the organization. You're making hires. I, I should imagine fairly regularly, um, and, and at all sorts of different levels. What, what are your hiring experiences? Is it is it something that um, you do in a particularly structured way, um, or or is it more, um, you know, when a need arises? Yeah, so I think we try to be as structured and systematic as it's as it's helpful and useful for us to be. So we do have a a pretty standard hiring process that we go through in both identifying what we need, uh, trying to fill that, advertising interviews, screening, you know, et cetera, as, as most firms do. Um, but I think working in a research organization, it's hard to forecast out and project exactly what you need. So um, sometimes we will anticipate needing to make a senior hire in a, in a place and that doesn't materialize maybe because the work doesn't come through. But other times, and we're, we're in this position now, you know, we're very, very busy and actually we need to be growing faster than we planned. Or sometimes people leave, you know, other opportunities come up elsewhere and there's a hole and you've got to fill it. So uh, I think we probably run a, a pretty standard hiring process, but we just recognize the need to, to be agile and flexible when those opportunities arise. Yeah, I w- often would think, you know, people on the outside of businesses perhaps don't realize just how dynamic they are. You know, things are constantly changing. You know, most companies, I'm not going to ask you what your attrition rate is, but most companies, you know, have a significant attrition rate, you know, sometimes up at 15% per annum. So that's 15% of their people move on per annum. They don't know when they're going to move. Um, It it just happens. Um, So, you know, even running to stand still, most businesses recruit at say 10 to 15%. 
And then if you have, as you say, particularly busy periods, um, you know, some area of your, your business takes off, then, you know, growth can really sort of kick in exponentially. So I, I do think that people sometimes sit on the outside of these businesses and don't think that there is a way in, but there, there often is, in my view. Um, and it's not always, I, I don't know how you see these things, Hans, but, you know, whilst many companies are very good at, at, at um, communicating their roles externally um, and, and advertising, in my experience, not all those roles actually ever get to an advert because they get filled through through a more organic process of referral, let's say, or you know, who do we know that could do this job for us before that you even go to market? Is that something that you find happens in your business? Yeah, I I, I think our experience is is mixed. We 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 will find that in some cases, and in other cases, we'll find we go to market. Uh, but often the people that then show up in market are people that we have that we find through our own networks or through our own, our own word of mouth. So. Um, Certainly, you know, there are, I can think of plenty of hires that we've made where people have maybe come to work for us as an intern and we found that that works very well and therefore we take them on into a, a research assistant role. Um, we, we, other times, I think we may find that we're partnering with someone. We partner a lot in the work we do. So I, you know, I think one of the ways you manage some of these the hiring dynamism that you talk about is if you get good partnerships and good networks, you obviously can lean on your partners when you when you might need a bit more capacity and don't want to necessarily hire if you think it's a blip. But of course, those partners often you know will have people that might come work for us at a later time. I, I can think of of one brilliant statistician who was at the University of Cambridge. We partnered with them on a on some work around health services research. She left the university, came to work for me, worked for me for about three years, but probably half of her work was still with her old university group, just wearing the RAND badge. And a couple of years later, she went back to a different group in the university, and we still work, work with her as much as we used to before. So I think there's also some of this, this um, interchange between regular partnerships and collaborations. But But you're right. I mean, there are times where... We might hear you know, someone might say to come to us and approach us out of the blue and say, "Look, this is who I am. This is my background. Um, I'm really interested in Rand." And then, and then the process changes a little bit, which is okay. Yeah, I, th- I think you know if people make an approach and they have a good why. Why? Why should? Why should? Why would I be interesting to you? And why are you interesting to me? If you can make that case. You've got to be a strategic fit. I mean, you know, you guys, you're quite specific in that you're going to be hiring people who are, you know, very bright, you know, research experts to some extent, um, or, or certainly have a, a specialism in that area. So it's not going to be, you know, just anybody that comes to to to, to knock on your door. But if you're a, a strategic fit with a business and you understand why you'd be interesting to them and why they're interesting to you, and you can articulate that, I think that's a really good way of opening a conversation that often leads to a hire. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. And I think it's, as you say, it's having that ability to articulate, you know, to, to a future employer, let's say Rand in this case, you know, what do, what can I bring to the role? Why am I interesting for you? You know, talking about why Rand is interesting for them as well is great, but actually that two-way reciprocal benefit and being able to articulate that and and be enthusiastic and talk about it in a, you know, very clear and coherent way, um, then makes you think. Makes certainly makes me think. Hmm, you know, let's think about this a bit further. Let's, 
you know, may there be an opportunity for this person? How does that work? And sometimes that moves quite quickly. And other times you have a conversation and you end up coming back to it a couple months later, or it spurs a thought in my mind that says, well, maybe we could think about moving into that area. And it may not be an instant hire, but it might be three or four months down the road, we think, okay, strategically, we might want to reopen this. And, you know, that person's in a, in a good position then to um, come into the organization. I guess the key to that, well, I always think the key to that sort of approach is that you do your research um, and you identify the reasons why and and uh, and the linkages, you know, the strategic linkages. I imagine I would imagine that's particularly particularly important if people come to you, given you're a research company. When, when you actually um, when you're interviewing people, what what are you looking for from people that that do make it through um, the recruitment process and, and end up sat in front of you, Hans? Yeah, I so I tend to only interview the most senior people in the organization. So I I. I tend to try to delegate down as much as I can. And given that I make my research group directors, you know, drive to particular targets, both in terms of revenue, projects, impact, and things, you know, I, I give them pretty wide discretion in terms of making hiring. So, so if I'm doing the hiring, they're probably senior level hires, but I've been, I've sat in their shoes as well. But I think when I'm talking to someone it usually means that they've got the core skills to be able to, to do the job. They wouldn't have made it through. So I think for me, it's looking at what are their motivations? What are their passions? Why are they interested in doing this? Um, you know, how is this going to clearly benefit Rand and how can Rand clearly benefit them? Because I think you need both. And I, and I think it's not just as simple as saying, oh, this person would be great for Rand and not thinking through how you could be helpful for them because, Otherwise, it's going to be short. And as you say, the turnover numbers that you talk about go up, right? Um, but I also think it's about values and it's understanding how the values, their values and the organization's values fit. You know, so, for example, one of the things that we do at Rand when we hire for any level position is I, I have this thing I call my values panel. We have, we've got organizational values that we live by quality, objectivity, learning, collaboration, service. And they have an interview with some of my staff who aren't in the team that they want to go join, where they just talk about those values and how those values resonate with them. And if they're not able to show that they're a good fit or we think there's there's issues, they can effectively show that person, the panel can show them the red card and the interview process stops. We don't hire them because I think what we find is most of the time people I hire, they're bright, they're brilliant, they're really smart. Um, if it doesn't work out, it's because of cultural fit and it's because of values fit. So it's something we've built in to try to help make sure that there's good values alignment when we hire someone, you know, which is not to say that our values are right and other people's values are wrong, right? I mean, I've hired, I've, I've been in rooms with plenty of people that the values fit wasn't great but it wasn't that there was anything wrong with the person. It's just the way that they approach things and the way they wanted to operate was slightly different to us. Um, and that's okay. You know, there will be plenty of good opportunities for them in other places. Well, yeah, I, I read some reports, uh, I think it was McKinsey reports that were saying it's culture fit. That's probably the biggest driver or a lack of culture fit. That's the biggest driver for, for failed hires. Um, it's it's a it's a huge amount. You know, people can be a great fit on paper, but they need to be a great fit uh, in 
in terms of the culture of the business and how they approach things, how they think, how they operate, all of those things. So that, I think that's a, a, a very good idea to have something in there. And, and it seems to me you do something very similar to a lot of my other clients, which is you have a panel of people, perhaps even people at, at the same level or even junior level who are also involved in the recruitment process and have the opportunity to, to, to have their say or their interaction with a hire to, because you're all part of the culture, aren't you? The culture doesn't, it's not just something that's, that comes from the top of the hierarchy and is filtered down. It's, it's something everybody's involved in. Yeah. And I think that's such an important point. Yeah. You know, I think when I talked about our values earlier, you know, the values, when we came up with them, it was a bottom-up collaborative activity. And actually, I didn't really even see them until they were well they were well developed. And I think you're right. You know, culture is built at all levels of the organization. And yeah, it goes to the earlier discussion we were having about researchers and even my all my functional staff. They're naturally curious. They like to understand how things work and they like to give you a view. And so giving them the opportunity to investigate and weigh in to the extent you can, right? You can't talk to everyone all the time about everything. But if you give people the opportunity to do it to the extent you're able, um, it really, it gets it gets their buy-in and, and drives, you know, a successful hire and a desire to work with the people when they come in, which is also really important. Well, that, that is huge. I always say, look, you know, regardless, you, 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 like you say, Jans, to get to an interview, you have to have the right CV. You're, you've you've passed to get to to sit in front of somebody. You've you've generally passed a few different uh, sort of uh, tests, if you like. Um, once you get there, it's all about, to some extent, it's about likability. Even for the most senior hires, you you have to like the person that's sitting in front of you because you're going to be working with them a lot, and that you know is is a very human. Um, piece rather than a, a, a an entirely sort of professional uh, or experience orientated piece. Um, and and it's, it goes back to your point about, you know, the people in the business and the culture of the business. I always argue, as you get involved with, an, with a company, you, you've got to try and reach out to people who work in the company who might be through your network, you know, friend of a friend, whatever it is, to try and get the inside track. Because companies do have cultures they do have identities you need to understand what they are because if you know if you get a bit of a forewarning a bit of an understanding as to how the company is and what its history is and you know generally what's what's happened in the business when you go into that meeting you're you're much more likely to do well uh, but you've still got to you've still got to have the likability factor on a human level yeah I, and the networking point is is key as well as as you say i think you know I can often tell when I'm interviewing people to what extent they've done their homework with us. Mm. You know, and, and they don't need to be explicit and say, I've talked to X who used to work in your organization. A lot of times when, well, most times when people have done their homework, they, they understand what we're about. They understand how we work. They understand our values. And if they're then able to articulate that in a, in a clear way, it it makes it much more likely that we're going to we're going to hire them but also and, and that we're going to be able to properly evaluate them I, I suppose the other thing is that sometimes you don't end up hiring people and it's not always because they're you know they're not good people it's just that they don't fit with what you need at the moment and i think too often 
people come away from unsuccessful hiring experiences and they say, well, what did I do wrong? You know, what was wrong with me? And it may not be that there's anything wrong with that person. It's just that what I need at the moment isn't quite what you're offering. Now, you have to be able to distinguish that between actually learning the real, you know, the some additional aspects of what you maybe could have done better and and how you could have gotten the job. So there is that little tension there. But, you know, there's, I think sometimes there's a risk that people just beat themselves up too much if they don't quite get what they want. Yeah, it's, it's the trickiest bit of my job is giving feedback to people um, after an unsuccessful interview. And, and I'm, you know, I, I want to do it because I want them to, to improve elements that they, I want them to understand, first of all, as, as much as I understand why it didn't work out, um, but also to see whether there's any learning bits in there. But um, it's it's hard to, to couch that in the in a way that, you know, is, uh, you know, just learning and not, not taken personally. Yes. Yeah, that, that's right. And I think having a good, I mean, and it just doesn't apply to hiring. You know, it, it, it also applies to just development within organizations, you know, and I think having a, being able to build a good culture of candor and feedback so you can give that constructive feedback in a way that people don't take offense is really, really important. And it's also really, really hard to do, right? And you need kind of goodwill on both sides to, to make that work. And I guess where it's harder in the hiring process is you haven't built up that mutual trust over time. So sometimes it's a, a bit harder to interpret. Hans, look, I really appreciate you uh, spending the time with me today and, and sharing some of your experiences, both from your career and from your hiring experience. Thanks so much. Great. Well, it's been a real pleasure, Tony, and I've uh, really enjoyed the opportunity. Thanks. Well, I think that conversation demonstrates how culture fit is such an important aspect um, when you go to, to try and join a company. You need to understand what the culture is. You need to be able to articulate that culture back to them and you need to be able to demonstrate that you fit with that culture. Uh, otherwise, it's very hard to get hired. Um, if you are looking to get hired at the moment, please do go to my site, careermovesecrets.com and take my, um, I'm calling it the ATS beating job search masterclass. So if you're struggling to get on the shortlist, this is really going to help you help improve your CV or resume. Um, so do have a look at for that. It's free and it will really help. So uh, yeah, uh, jump on my site, careermovesecrets.com and pick that up. And if you're enjoying these podcasts, consider subscribing, consider leaving me a review because there will be more Career Move Secrets podcasts coming very soon. 